Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. Hey guys, quick 30-second pre-preamble here. One is, I didn't mention it for a while, we got Diamond Dave Vessler free pick on a win total in the NFL. Also, Tommy the Hitman. Win total NFL. I've got a free pick, and it's on the Patriots quarterback situation. So all three's coming up. I wasn't super clear about that. And we had a pretty extensive, and when I say we, I'm trying to defray blame. We had a pretty extensive talk about the virus. I thought it was interesting, but, uh, you know, we get to the pick there after. And, you know, with podcasts, you can always – do a little forwarding if you or drag it or whatever if you want. So it's good to be back. We explain all the details and such, and it looks like next week we should be live. So on to the show. On to the show. You are the last of the ducktails and leather jackets. Hey guys, good to be back. It's a little different this week, and we're setting up our operational elements when it comes to you know trying to keep the social distance and not only trying, but doing it. And I can't lie. It was something I was a little bit mm, dismissive of initially. And, you know, let's be honest when you're a contrarian person, right? When it's not always, Oh, society says this society says that the schools, the teacher said this, the principal said that. The border region said this, uh, you know, there's certain people that embrace that as gospel. There's people that are, you know, somewhat skeptical. And then you've got the contrarians. Now, a true contrarian likes to disagree as much as a consensus person likes to agree. So they won't agree even if they agree. That to me is just as limited. But I can act like it's like when the person's right or society or convention the majority, whatever we want to call it, the hegemony, if I recall, whatever, I could act as if I'm always going to like just call it with balls and strikes, decimal points, and I'm going to give you the right answer no matter what the ramifications are. Eh, I, I, I aspire to that, but we're all human. And I think one thing that I've seen about myself is when you when so much of your intellectual energy is going to saying, Hey, that convention is wrong. Being contrary to convention becomes the more comfortable position. And sometimes I'm probably in areas that would be a close call where convention maybe is right, at least competitive. I'm still going to be dismissive if I don't watch myself. And I was probably like that with the virus. Oh, look, it's a bad flu. And then as, I read more and thought more, you know, you can see, now again, I don't really know where to come down on the whole, well, you know, there's pain and, and quite frankly, health and death that comes with a lack of money. So the question is, if you save X people from 
the coronavirus by shutting the country down, but what is the why figure for the people suffering because of the economic issues? I certainly don't have insight into all that. I, I see that there's both sides. I think it's too easy to say if only one person is uh, going to be lost, one human life. It's like, well, think about speed limits, right? If we went down to 25 on the highways, there'd be a lot of lives saved and a lot of wasted or you know unnecessary travel time. The very act of traveling, if you think about it, every time you leave your house, forget the self-imposed <laughs> situation we're in now, but six months ago, an average September day is your chance of having an accidental death, staying in your bedroom, a lot less than going to a high school football game or whatever. So it's a balance. And it's it, to, to just say, you know, life is so precious, it's always worth more than anything else. Well, if you believe that, then you would act very differently than anyone I know acts. Now, there's a spectrum, right? Some people are daredevil types that want the thrill. And that thrill is so important to them that they take a ton of risks. And oftentimes, those are very successful people. I mean, you look at the Kennedys as a family. Uh, obviously, JFK, it wasn't about risks, but a lot of that family and all the way down to JFK Jr. is the act of flying a plane that you're not a professional full-time pilot. I wouldn't think of that, but there's a certain type that does, but that's the type oftentimes that's very successful. <laughs> you know, either... I guess have an accidental death or have success and, and risk taking in general, I think is like that is success usually comes to the risk takers, but the real downside is also the risk takers. And if you just want to be kind of minus 10 and be safe, but be minus 10, I think that's how most people live. Now, a romantic view of my approach, I think is I only want to take a risk when I think I have an edge, but when I have that edge, I am not afraid to take the maximum risk allowable. And, you know, I think there's some truth to that, though, like anything, it's probably not 100% like that because there's probably other areas that scare me more than just being uninformed. But so, thought I'd give a little dose of <laughs> my much you know, loved in some quarters and not so loved theories and mm, ponderings. But Fez has not left literally <laughs> his uh, walls of wealth, as we've started calling his area he lives. Uh, but next week for Wednesday, that's the plan. And he's uh, called in a phoner for the radio show, but I don't let him talk too much and it's hard on the phone. But next week, he'll be in studio is the plan. And with uh, Mackenzie and Matt, we're going to keep that distance. And then Fez and I won't be in the studio together. And it looks like we've got like four weeks of this. And we'll see how it goes. And the good news is this is motivating us to get Fez uh, a type of high premium connection uh, into his house, have a home studio, a little home studio. And that will allow him not only on his radio hits and all that to have a better quality, but allow us to reach out to him anytime. Like, you know, late breaking news, something happens at 1030 at night, 
try to get some sound and get, get some stuff up quicker. So, you know, that, you know what they say about the mother of invention, right? Necessity. Uh, obviously some of you guys are, you know, touched more directly from the virus. Others, a majority not, but you know, however, it's a, you know, a lot of people probably, I mean, financially, I can just tell you, just close your eye. I mean, not saying feel bad for me, but close your eyes for a second. Imagine, okay, let me think here. No games, no, <laughs> it's like, now what? So, uh, obviously there's just so many people and companies and families being affected by this. And I know it's easy to say it like this, but this is what I try to think is these kind of disruptions are so traumatic or so difficult now, mostly because they're so uncommon and in this country, in America. And if you think about even 50, 70 years ago in America or pretty much the rest of the world now, but not all, but almost, where things like, oh, electricity's down. Oh, how, how long? Oh, three weeks. Or, you know, you know, even to the level of, do you have uh, reliable banking? Do you have reliable supply chains? I mean, all the things that really the, the foundation of the modern uh, first world world. And you just think about just if your internet's down. And I guess maybe a good analogy to this is when you hurt yourself. Like if I get like a twisted ankle, like the idea of going from upstairs to downstairs becomes a deliberation. It becomes a plan as opposed to walking. And when you hurt yourself or you get the flu, you know, the normal flu, you always say, I'm going to remember how glorious it feels to feel normal. And like Tony Soprano in the last season or the, I guess, next to last season, based on how they did the last year, you know, it was really one by contract, but I think they called it seven, eight or six, A and six B. But when he got shot and, you know, after it was like every day is a gift. And then, but why does it have to be socks? So that (laughs) as Woody Allen said after Annie Hall. (laughs) Yeah. So it's funny. I now see, cause I never do solo, but I now see that it could be very interesting. Whereas again, very polarizing, but if only we did editing and then maybe it'd be even better, but then you never know, right? You just never know. That reminds me No, Okay. So here's what we're going to do. I've got a free pick and I actually think this is a good one. And Fez disagrees or I'm sorry, check that. He agrees big time. So we talked about it at length, by the way, next week, little tease ahead. We're finally going to, I've been, I've been threatening this. We are finally going to do Brady Belichick, who was the most valuable for the dynasty. I think we actually on a call about this podcast, we went like 40 minutes on it. And, uh, well, I kind of did, <laughs> but at the end, you know, McKenzie and Fez both really had a few comments that helped me, uh, I think edit the way I'm going to present it. But, but I think the answer is based on the way you phrase the question. I think the answer is obvious. Now, a little spoiler, if you phrase it one way, it's Brady, the other way, Belichick, but it is crystal clear. I think in both cases, 
We'll do that live with Faz, hopefully, or most likely next week. And after my free pick, best bet, we are going to have, I don't want to call it a best of because it's not that. It is outtakes from this season in football, but most of it was off topic stuff. So literally, like we just heard, (laughs) we start talking about one thing, it goes to another. And that's one of the beauties of podcasts, right? Is it's, there's not a hard out, as they say in radio. And sometimes that's a gift and sometimes that's a curse. And, you know, a, a Joe Rogan type who is very good at what he does, uh, you know, world-class, the real innovation with Joe Rogan, in my opinion, was how all of the artificial artificialities, I guess, maybe, of broadcast, he just wiped away with his hand and said, those don't matter anymore. How long is this? Well, as long as it's interesting to me. Uh, what, where should the camera be? Where, you know, what about the 180 degree, whatever is, it was like what felt right to him. And you could say, well, yeah, but why not benefit from all the decades of evolution and all the great, you know, from Jackie Gleason and and all the evolution each five years or whatever in TV. I don't think he's ignoring that. He's saying, if I don't agree, if it doesn't feel right to me, it's not going to be sacred. It's going to be something that we'll do it our way. And if you do that right, you can have the best of all. You benefit from consensus. It's almost like we had this plan. And when you're contrarian, be willing to make a bet, believe it, but don't be afraid. And, you know, just being around a little bit of TV and, you know, more old school terrestrial radio, not a lot of people that are centered in that business are open to that kind of risk. And in a weird way, it makes sense because there's a certain type of person who is going to go into terrestrial radio in this day and age, or even 20 years ago. And the types that we're going to, you know, 20 years ago, it was 2000. It was the internet was five years old, right? So if you got some 55 year old or 50 year old program director at some station in Omaha, this is a guy that chose to go into a trending down industry when there was one of the great booms in the history of the world, the internet happening. You know, not that people don't get a chance to change, but fundamentally that's a conservative choice and they're probably going to be conservative. And, you know, Adam Carolla, guy we've had a long relationship with, great guy, and I, I consider a pioneer. You know, he did a ton. He, he replaced Howard Stern west of pretty much the Mississippi and uh, David Lee Roth was east. Sounds like in The Godfather. <laughs> Up to 42nd and... <laughs> but uh, Adam so loves the lack of restriction. Now, again, with him, it's one of those, sometimes it's brilliant, sometimes it's indulgent. You just never know, right? That's the weird thing. It's like when I'm in the middle of something, I don't know. If you're sitting above it, critiquing it, it's kind of hard to do it. And sometimes, boy, it'd be nice if there was a heart out there. And other times, the best part of the you know, show is the stuff that wouldn't be on radio. But there's limits. And these were the times that we ended up having like two and a half hour, three hour shows. 
And lo and behold, there was a 40-minute part of it we took out. Well, we saved those very lovingly and with great care. Sleepy is the archivist when it comes to this stuff, Sleepy J. And I told him today, I'll do a little preamble. Probably didn't expect to be this long. Do my free pick. And then hit us with like 45 minutes of, you know, one or two of those good ones. So we'll tell you, it should be in the description, which we haven't written yet, um, how many of the clips there are. My guess is it'll be one or two. And we'll try to give you a time range, I guess, of where the second one will come in in case, you know, if you don't like the first, you want to try the second. But obviously no obligation. There won't be picks. So it's kind of evergreen after the pick coming up. And also, as I said, in the pre-preamble, we've got two other picks on recording. One from Diamond Dave Esler. Some call him Uncle Dave. Why? He's kindly, gentlemen. He looks innocent. Not innocent as in a kid, but innocent as in he somehow navigated this world, this rough and tumble world of gambling, but kept his you know, good cheer. Well, that's all wrong. He's Diamond Dave. Uncle Dave, there's some truth to that. He likes to help people. He likes community. But it's us and them, baby. He, you can't be a Patriots fan if it's not us and them. Diamond Dave, but he looks like an accountant, and they call him Uncle Dave. That is the best description of Diamond Dave or Dave Esler, however you want to say it. We got actually a pick that I disagreed with him on. He had a similar pick last year, and they, oh, he did not let me forget it. He was right. And then he's emerging. He's a school teacher. He looks like a school teacher in New Jersey. He's only in his mid-20s, late, and kind of maybe later 20s now. The Hitman, Tommy the Hitman. Another one of these unlikely assassins win total NFL from him. But first, my pick. Now, this is one that's going to take some explaining, and I enjoy the pod because we can do that. I like, here's what I want to do. I want to get exposure on that no outside quarterback will be the quarterback of the Patriots. So now that they're down to two in-house quarterbacks, Stidham and Brian Hoyer, I believe that either Stidham or Hoyer will be the quarterback. Another way to say it is, I don't think any outsider is going to, and let's be clear now, the bet is who starts week one. So it doesn't matter if you were playing right. Belichick had a parade for the guy. If the guy twists his ankle before the first game and someone else starts, you don't win. So there's obviously some vagaries to all this, but I think this is a great bet. I don't think that any outsider really has much of a chance for week one. And that's what we're betting. And you might think, well, RJ, not much of a chance. How much are we going to win? Well, that's the thing. You can get Stidham if you shop for minus 125. He will be the starting quarterback minus 125. A little bit more than even money. Now, Brian Hoyer, if you shop 10 to 1. Now, we only looked at three outs that we're shopping. So I don't know about if you have a bunch of outs. But most people should have three. Now, there's a chance that... Uh, your three won't have one of these good numbers. And if so, get another book. I mean, or don't bet it or whatever. So that's the balance we're always trying to 
you know, the line we're always trying to walk is this isn't a hardcore, every decimal point matters. And if you're not, if you don't have 29 outs like Fez, you're making a mistake. If you care about nothing more than winning, then you're making a massive mistake by not having 29 outs or as many as you could have. If you are trying to say, Hey, I want, I got so much bandwidth, so much energy, so much, uh, struggle. I'm willing to resist against like getting that out, getting back, you know, all the struggles of life or running a business. I've got this much, whatever it is, a little bit, a lot. We'll teach you how to apply it. But most people have considerations that listen to the pod which are bigger than just winning. Though winning is always preferred. I mean, that's all easy, right? I mean, I guess there's some sadists out there that like to see, you know, I guess they're masochists and sadists at the same time to themselves. (laughs) And the, uh, except for that tiny minority that wants to lose sometimes and feel it, we let you decide how much effort you put in. And some of you are putting in hardly any, and some of you are putting in a ton, aspiring pros. It's your call. We'll teach you how to do it the optimal way and explain where the compromises come in potentially and and what the consequence, the impact of those compromises likely will be. Here, some I've seen stood at minus 300. You can't play at a minus 300 with this, right? So somewhere around 125, and Hoyer, 10 to 1 available. Now, how much do you bet? I'm just messing around. The more I think about, when I say messing around, I'm messing around with the numbers. Like, like you know, up a little, down the levers. But my gut feeling is I want to bet 125 to win 100, creating a, a base unit here on Stidham. And then I want to bet 20 to win 200 on Hoyer. So the theory is if Hoyer or uh, Stidham start, if Stidham starts, you win the 100, you lose the 20, you're up 0.8 units, right? And if Hoyer's the starter, you win 200 there, you lose 125, 75. So you got your baseline unit there. It's, you know, you're risking, and we'll talk about what we're risking here in a second, to win 0.8, now, what are you risking? You're risking 125 plus 20. So 145. So you're batting 145 to win 80. So now ask yourself, what are the odds in week one that some quarterback's going to get signed and that quarterback is going to emerge? And let's not forget, this year, there's so much more of a chance that there's not going to be a disruptive decision by any coach because there's going to be so much less movement in the off season that people are going to be, the coaches are going to be comfortable with OTAs, all of this stuff that is like clockwork to prepare for a season. My gut feeling is everything before July gets, gets disrupted. Who's to say if there's disruption that extends into I? It might not be like NBA's might be playing, but maybe NFL can't do this or this. I don't know. 
But what I know for sure is this will be as disruptive of an offseason as we've seen. I mean, the only thing comparable would be some strike-threatened seasons. But, man, those have been a minority, a tiny minority. And I'm not sure how much worse or not worse this one would be. My gut feeling is it's going to be more disruptive than a possible strike. Because someone like Cam can't even travel to get a physical to get checked out. So, I mean, just the signing might be delayed for, by, you know, six, eight, ten weeks from where it would have been. I mean, imagine if Brady, all this had happened a little bit before and Brady wasn't able to be signed and that, that he was in limbo all this time. You'd be thinking, well, whatever team he goes to, it's going to be a problem. He's not going to have his prep time. He's been in the same system 20 years. Yeah. You know what? It's pretty much the same thing right now. I mean, I guess I can zoom or teleconference, but you know, him getting signed, I guess for peace of mind was good with Brady, but how much are they getting done? Getting ready? I don't think a ton is my sense. So now you add in that the Patriots don't have another quarterback in camp. Now that they've cut Kessler. And thus, imagine, let's just say, be optimistic. And I hope this is true. You know, June 15th, everything's freed up. So you're telling me that in 10 weeks, they're going to sign, Bill Belichick is going to sign someone. He's going to learn the system and he's going to show himself to be clearly better than Stidham in that time. I don't think so. Mike Lombardi, friend of the pod, friend of the show. He talked about Belichick and the athletic about how he'll make this decision. And everyone else they asked had their theories. And he said in very declarative statements, he goes, Belichick will gain or get economic value in the signing, which is code for he's not paying a bunch for anybody unless he could get someone that's world-class. Whatever you might think about Cam, it's been a long time since Cam has been world-class. Cam, since, in fact, entering the Super Bowl, if you would have stopped time a minute before kickoff of the Super Bowl, 15-1 regular season, blowout divisional round, winner, blowout conference finals round, winner. Now we stop time. It's tea and crumpets and say, see, it starts here. From that point on, Cam has a below 500 straight up record as a starter. And he has less than a, Q, a QBR of less than 50. So he's quarterbacked below average team by a smidge, but still. And he's been a below average quarterback by a smidge below 50 on QBR. But so it's true. Does that mean he can't be saved by Belichick? Maybe. But it's not like Riverboat Ron's considered some horrible coach. He's not considered a horrible coach. I just know Belichick, if he does take a flyer on Cam, it will be reasonably priced and he won't rush it. Lombardi's statement two of three, economic value one. Number two, he said that he there will be an open competition, meaning he's not going to Choose the winner. The winner is going to be evident. So that makes it where if Cam might have more upside, I'm just using Cam, right? He might have more upside, 
but he's just not ready yet. Okay, then he won't play yet. And then three, which isn't as applicable here, is Belichick will build the offensive scheme around the quarterback skills and not expect the quarterback to build hit or to conform, adjust to, to some set offense. So Chip Kelly, in theory, would be the other example. There's the Chip Kelly offense. Do you fit in it or not? Belichick has a range and he can uh, adjust to you. And he's a believer in that. Now, this is where the whole he wants a running quarterback comes in. And that's why people have talked about Cam. And I would be excited to just see what Cam could do under Belichick. I don't think he would start in week one. And you know something? There's a hell of a chance he doesn't sign any other quarterback. You know, gets a third stringer in, but no one that's going to be competitive for the job. And how great is that that we'd have a sure, you know, effectively a sure winner in that case? So you could adjust these lines or or the bet amounts in a way that you could break even if Hoyer starts and win much more if it's Stidham or vice versa. So you, you probably don't, you know, you probably want to lock in a win if one of the two, but if, if you're saying, I don't believe Hoyer has much of a chance, then maybe you put 10 units on Hoyer and you still lose something if it's Hoyer, but you've cut the loss in half. There's all kinds of ways to do it, bet sizing. But this isn't us trying to avoid making a commitment. We're making a big commitment. It's just the big commitment is not bettable unless you compound multiple bets together. I would love to have a 20 cent straddle on Will Stidham or Hoyer start or no, you know, two bets. Yes, no, I'd love it. But we, we don't have that. We can attempt to replicate it with this approach. One last thought. Well, actually two. Think about what it would take for either Hoyer or Stidham not to be the starter. It would take signing someone significant, them learning a super complex offense obviously with Belichick and being ready to take the first snap, meaning you could even see if someone did a great job that they say, Hey, you're going to get four drives maybe. And let's talk about the, you know, 40 plays that we have. That's probably too many. Talk about the, you know, 30 plays we're going to have ready for you. Maybe they're going to use the same play 10 times. Who knows? But what I know is the scope. There's a lot of possible ways an interloper, an outsider could get involved. One is the guy's good. He's coming, you know, along great, but he's not going to be ready till week four, right? So he's on the trend line to be better, but won't get there with the shortened off season. Or it could be, wow, we're so happy we signed him, but he's just not ready. We're going to play him, you know, like they used to do with slash <laughs> court out store, have a couple of series planned and have those plays, the playbook more narrow. That's possible. It won't be the first series. Most likely the only way we lose this bet is if everything we've ever learned about Balachak is somehow transcended by talent, which let's be honest. Currently we don't have a winner in the group and Dalton. No, I think Dalton's a little underrated, but he's not that good. Cam, yeah, his talent was first pick in the draft. But what's come of it? One amazing season. 
And let's be honest, not many people walking the earth that's had a season that good. But it's been four seasons ago. I'm not sure how it applies now, other than we can dream on it. And again, if even if Cam did do well with the Patriots, first he has to sign and he has to do well. It just doesn't seem like something would be really fast. I just don't even know how. And the fact we have two means even if there's a, cat, a big injury, we're fine. Right? Because Hoyer's about, you know, Fezzik has Hoyer, I think, 35 or 6 in his quarterback rankings. This guy's one of the better backups still. But he's a very, you know, weak starter based on history. But it's not like some other person is going to come in off the street because of injury. Love it. We're effectively, like we said, laying. I mean, it's not quite two to one, but a little less. And that's the question. Do you believe there's more than a 33% chance that someone other than those two will start? If so, you don't want this bet. If you think otherwise, you do. Unless you're real close and then you know, it's probably bet a pizza on it or whatever. Last thing. The more I think about this, the more I like the Hoyer side of the bet. Why? Because Belichick is a master of many things, but he's a master of understanding the PR narrative and he cares about history. And the funny thing is, you know, history will tell the tale you hear, but really there's so much randomness even in that. Like if we say, well, who really won the PR battle in the Roman empire? You'd be Caesar, baby. You know, he died young and relatively, and we know everyone knows Caesar. But why? Why does everyone know Caesar? It's because Shakespeare decided to write a play about Caesar. And if Shakespeare didn't, we wouldn't know who Caesar was. And that was a decision made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after Caesar died. I mean, the story I always talk about is Moby Dick. Literally, Melville was a very well-known writer. He wrote Moby Dick came out. Everyone shrugged. And it was like 40 years later. And Melville was done dead, as I say. And there was one college professor that just got a bug that said, I think that Moby Dick's one of the greatest books ever written. And like over 15 years of going around and, and having... Uh, talks on it, giving speeches on it, it took hold. And all of a sudden, 10 years after that, Moby Dick was in a lot of the you know, syllabuses for syllabi for different, you know, Ivy League type colleges. And then the next generation, it was everywhere. And now Moby Dick, greatest novel in English, some say. Literally, it was unknown for 40 years. So, Belichick knows he can't totally control these things, but he can create an environment that gives his legacy the best chance of being looked at in the most sympathetic light. And one of those approaches, I think, is to not make this Stidham versus Brady because you could make that case. In fact, I would make that case that how would Belichick be this difficult? Would he be that demanding? Or look at the flip side. Would he be this unrelenting? Because my understanding is Brady 
wasn't willing to take a certain something, but he wasn't looking for utopia. It wasn't like he wanted Belichick to be a different person. He just wanted a little bit more than the other guys out the door at the end got. Belichick said, nah, not viciously, not vindictively, just nah. Now, maybe Belichick being the badass he is, even if he had no quarterback would said, nah, I don't know. But I know if he's a human, which he is, that the chance of him saying, nah, goes up if you think Stidham is something. So I believe that his belief in Stidham had a lot to do with his obstinance with Brady. If that's true or not, the last thing he wants is Stidham's career to be the poster child for the wisdom of the decision to let Brady go. Because if you're Belichick and he's much more intelligent than me about football, I'd be smart enough to say that I'd much rather believe or convey the following. I don't know how good Brady's going to be this year. And I don't know how good he'll be next year if he plays. You know what? doesn't matter. It's he's odds are extremely small that he's going to be elite elite. So great. I mean, if you're someone that looks at numbers, looks at QBR, like really thinks about football, ask yourself, what is the reasonable best season Brady could have this year? Ranked one to 32 among starters. I don't think he could have a better season than ninth or 10th. I think that's the best he can do. So let's give him that. He still would be overpaid at 25 sticks. So Belichick is saying, you're giving me a scenario where it's best case and I still am overpaying. Now, again, some people might disagree with that. I believe that's correct. And then all the other parts of the spectrum other than the best case gets worse And I'm almost 70 being Belichick here. And you're telling me to take what? How many good years does Belichick have left? Let's again, be optimistic seven or eight until he's 75, 76, 77. Belichick's been the best late career coach by far. Fezzik did some work. McKenzie helped him on this. Belichick's improved his one loss record since he was 60. The rest of the great coaches And we didn't pick them to have bad records here. We picked them blindly on greatness. The rest of the great coaches won like 51 and a half percent of the time after the eight or 16 and beyond Belichick actually improved. So I think he's probably going to go longer than people think. So say seven years. So 14, 15% of Belichick's games and then potentially 30% if it's a two-year deal, because remember, that was the dispute. One or two. Belichick wanted him for one, and it wasn't even so much about the money. It was that guarantee of the second year, which effectively you give him enough of a bonus, it's a guarantee. That's what they're talking about with Tannehill. You can't cut him at a certain point. So I think this is about Belichick saying the upside doesn't probably win us a Super Bowl, and that's the other question. If he does have the 10th best season Brady. And it was with the Patriots. Do they win a Super Bowl with that? I don't know. It doesn't seem likely. So he's saying you're pretty much saying best case. We don't win a Super Bowl. Now that sounds crazy with Tom Brady. Well, 
tell me the other quarterbacks at this age, or even tell me the other quarterbacks a year or two younger. Now maybe Brady's found the fountain of youth and obviously he's healthy and looks young, but you know, this would be, I'm always skeptical of this would be the first time. And I think in general, you're going to do well in life being skeptical of that. But occasionally on occasion, there is going to be a first time, but it's very logical that Belichick is saying, I think we're probably going to be overpaying regardless. I think it's gonna be hard to win a Super Bowl regardless. I've only got X years left. I'm not going to spend two of, you know, guarantee that. And this year wouldn't be, and maybe he thought, Hey, if everything fell right, we could win a Super Bowl this year, but he was confident perhaps that the year after there'd be no chance. It still would be one of his seven years wasted. And then in year three, the quarterback, whoever it was, would have to learn the system. And that first year would be tough. And you know, I haven't thought of this yet till just now. The Hoyer side of this bet looks more attractive because of the same reasons. You know, we were talking about how the offseason was going to limit a outsider coming in. But what's the most like an outsider that's not an outsider? Is a is a guy who's very early in his career, like Stidham, not benefiting from this offseason, the offseason in which he was finally the presumptive starter. Huh. That makes it even better. So here's the other reason I like Hoyer's side of this or a, a portion of this bet more. If Belichick is trying to avoid the Stidham replace Brady, they can be the proxies for this disagreement. Well, obviously Tom Brady is going to be the proxy for his own disagreement. So he's not the proxy. He's the face of it. But do you want Brady versus Stidham if you're Belichick? Or do you want Brady at 25 million with a two-year guarantee versus the alternative, which is whatever? Who knows? I think it's not Brady versus Stidham. So what happens? Even if he's on pace. And listen, if he's on pace like the next Mahomes, it's all a moot point and we still win the bet. But if he's on a nice, normal pace and he could start week one, what's the motivation of Belichick starting two weeks, let's say with Hoyer? It defrays all this, the next in line, the heir apparent. It's old man Hoyer. And then in week three, well, finally Stidham's getting his start. I think it tamps everything down, which helps Belichick's legacy potentially if it goes bad with Stidham. And it helps Stidham. How's he going to benefit from the bright lights of Tom Brady's replacement? And it's 10 to 1. And Hoyer's underrated. I know he's older, but usually older hurts you over a long season. If you're just on that cusp of being too old in football, the quarterbacks usually suffer later in the season. A couple starts early, you had the whole offseason. And who benefits or who gets hurt the least from lack of prep time? Hoyer, who knows that system extremely well. All right. That's pretty good. I should just sit like uh, a <laughs> king of comedy style in my basement and do a lot of these rants. And then, you know, I'll figure out some stuff I didn't think about before. But that was uh, good. I hope you guys enjoyed it. So here's what we got. We got next up, Diamond Dave Esler. Then right after that is going to be the Hitman. Then right after that, some outtakes. Next week, the plan is tape Wednesday, live with Fez, have it up Thursday morning. 
If there's any change, we'll let you know. Otherwise, I hope everyone's safe and, you know, try your best to maximize your chances. That's all you can do. Whatever you're doing, we wish you the best. And I'll talk to you next week. Here we go. First up, Diamond Dave. I like and I bet the Jaguars under five and a half wins. This is a team that released Marcel Darius, traded Bowie, traded Calais Campbell. Production aside, those were three clubhouse leaders, especially Campbell. This is a team that puts his future in the hands of Gardner Minshew. He was a sixth-round pick for a reason. He replaced Foles just like sixth-rounder Brady replaced Bledsoe, but lightning in a bottle isn't happening again. Minshew's just too careless with the ball. They bring in Jay Gruden. What's he done? He's been with the Bengals and the Redskins for a decade. His claim to fame was winning a Super Bowl with his brother and Tony Junji's team 17 years ago. The Jags scored 18 points per game last year. With this roster, he can't fix that. This is a Jags team with an apathetic fan base, an empty stadium, and played two home games in London this year. This is a Jags team with a head coach that's 22-28 and 28 with Jacksonville. Almost half those wins came in one season. This is a 300-1 team to win the Super Bowl for a reason. This is a Jags team that stands a great chance of drafting Trevor Lawrence. This is a Jags team that's not winning six games. I bet the Jaguars under last year in a room full of discords, and I'm doing it again. Jaguars under five and a half wins. All right, early NFL season win total, best bet. We're going to take the Panthers under five and a half wins. So let's start off with the fact that the Panthers are just simply one of the worst rosters in the league. They lost eight straight games to end last season, and they lost their two best defensive players in the offseason, Luke Keekley and James Bradbury. This year, I'm currently projecting them to have the worst defense in the entire NFL. Secondly, with many offseason activities likely to be canceled, the Panthers are going to be at a huge disadvantage because they're not going to have time for a new head coach to implement his system, and they also don't have time for a new quarterback to gain continuity with his new scheme and receivers. Lastly, the Panthers gave their new head coach, Matt Rule, a seven-year contract, and beat writers have speculated that the team is heading towards a long-term rebuild. Rule certainly has the job security to do that if he pleases, and it seems like the team's heading in that direction. There's speculation that every single player on the Panthers could be available in trades aside from young stud wide receiver DJ Moore. Take the under five and a half wins on the likely rebuilding Panthers. We should talk about this Caesar story or this story about the football player from Arizona. So John Shaw he bet parlays. Now, this is fascinating if you look at the story. So the guy went up, bet a second-half parlay, a three-teamer, look, like three different second halves. You ever parlay up the second halves, Fez? On occasion when there's a reason to. But is it usually side total in the same game, right? Right. These are three separate sides. Never. Yeah. And, I mean, not that there'd be any necessary correlation, which is what parlays often have a value we talk about sometimes. And one of them was against his team. Now, you might think, man, he, uh, he's ruthless, cold-blooded. It's like, I don't think so. I think he just didn't know that he wasn't allowed. Because if you look, Caesars actually reported this. So this is another example. As we say again and again, regulated sports betting decreases the chance of corruption. Because when something happens that could be corrupt, the authorities find out from the sports book. Frankie at the bar is not calling the Hey, uh, can I talk to Goodell? <laughs> yeah, that's who I want to talk to. Come on. <laughs> he knows who this is. I mean, come on. The regulated books decrease corruption. Get it straight. 
But he filled out something for his bet, and he put occupation professional football player. <laughs> Guy wasn't high. And you don't think he, he had – he wasn't – I'm guessing he wasn't there all by his lonesome. He could have had his buddy walk up and place the bet. And you'd think if they start asking you to fill something out, I don't like ask when they like me fill something out. When I get a big gulp, I'll walk away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and this guy, you, in a way, I feel bad for the guy. He obviously wasn't trying to deceive anyone. You know, the problem here is it's like saying walking across the streets illegal or spitting on the sidewalk, which it may be in some jurisdictions, is it, it's so natural. It's so pervasive. The idea that it's wrong just is counterintuitive. And by the way, the 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 Browns and the helmet spear and all that stuff, Garrett, suspended what, five, six, seven games perhaps? I mean, we'll see. Next year, I bet he comes back. I mean, Pittsburgh started it apparently, but still, <laughs> this guy's out through 2020. Yeah. So they're saying you put a little parlay together. I'm not saying the guy shouldn't get a punishment, but you got to ask yourself, did he even know what was wrong? And if he knew it was wrong, why would he do it himself when someone else could have done it? And why would he put his name on a form? Yeah, where was the deceit? Like trying to cover it up. I don't see any. And ignorance is not an excuse, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a, but you are you going to be that vindictive towards him? That punishing, that draconian to say that guy is out. Oh, the rest of this year and next year. Yes, because you have to send a message to all those other players who are a little bit smarter that are betting on NFL games and they're having their buddies put their bets in that there will be draconian measures if you are caught. You're saying you got to send the message out. So the way to send, but but that's you're saying deterrence. Yes. But deterrence requires people to be aware that something's illegal. So why don't you spend or against the rules in this case? It's not illegal. It's against the NFL's rules. I'm not debating that it should be against the rules or not. I think it's fine. It's their rules. But this, I mean, Jones, could you imagine this guy knowing that it was? Illicit? No, and I thought the punishment was too harsh. I think this is more of an example of the NFL. While they say that they're welcome to the idea of gambling, they're still a little bit hesitant because they freaked out on this and got panicky because a guy ah, placed the bet. He's on the They're not reserve. hesitant. They are, if we can act like we're hard against gambling and not cost us a dollar, we will. And if it costs some kid his career, well, uh, uh, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs, right? And, and, the, and the whole idea that no player in the NFL has ever not placed a bet or has ever, it just, that's insane to me. I, I, whether they send their friend over to the, to the sports book to do it or whatever, or they pay cash, whatever it is, this idea that NFL players have never gambled on a game before, it doesn't mean they're gambling on their games, but they're there for the Super Bowl weekend in Vegas and they place a bet on the opening coin flip or something like that. I just, I, I think, I think people are a little bit naive when it comes to that. Well, but in a weird way, I think what you're saying means you've got to be hard when you do catch them. Meaning if it is something you genuinely don't want and people are doing it, you got to then create a deterrent in that case. What bothers me in this case is the guy clearly didn't know. And that's the NFL's responsibility to make sure he knows if the guy so – I don't know what his intelligence is. I think it's too easy to think these athletes are all stupid. So I don't know. I don't. But he's either very, very limited intellectually, and if so, you got to feel sorry for him if you're the league. All the money these players are making him, if someone's that bad, I don't think this guy is, then get the guy a, like a, a body man. Seriously, mm-hmm. just pay for a body man the whole year. How much does that cost? A couple hundred K. It's nothing in the scheme of this. If you're going to hold the guy accountable, he's got to know he's doing something wrong. 
how I want to find, I really want to hear as this story progresses, what he knew. Because if he knew it was wrong and still didn't put his name on a form, okay, all right? Again, you got to have pity for the guy. But I think you got to have pity for the guy regardless because who wants to pick this guy up after? He's going to miss a whole year. Yep. I mean, this could end his career. And, I, you know, I don't have a lot of, like, oh, I want uh, Zeke Elliott to have that next 30 mil so he can have generational wealth. I think he should if he deserves it. But I don't feel bad if he doesn't get it. It's like winning the lottery in a state with more taxes. You don't feel bad. Just, but in this case, who knows the way that this affects it? He could have, could have had a six-year career in which he then was able to buy a car wash after and have a good family life. Or who knows what, right? So when, And I don't even know. This kid could have rich parents. I don't know. But in general, a lot of these athletes, if they make it or they don't make it, dictates not only their lives, but their kids' lives and the next generation. And the NFL will, if Tom Brady somehow made this mistake, you think he's gone for a year and a half? (laughs) Now, you might say Tom Brady wouldn't make that mistake. Okay, why is that? And should this guy be punished for ignorance? I don't know. It felt a little strong. All I know is this, and this will be the last thing I say. Whenever the NFL can make a point and seem hardcore and it not cost them any money, they're hardcore. But when... Their hardcore point might cost them money. They find a way not to be quite so hardcore. So that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, if you're just yeah. going to, you know, nine such, a, you know, such, well, all those numbers are key, right? But I guess Arizona, I guess I feel a little better that I'm going to lose that Arizona over because they weren't very good. I mean, I, I thought they were very good and it was, you know, or they were better than I expected. And everyone, it's funny. Everyone was doing the back paddle on, you know, I, uh, I got a Mia call for this. Um, I, uh, I didn't think Kingsbury. Yeah, that was me. 28% in the Big 12 if it's not Kansas uh, as the opponent. I didn't think he could do the NFL. And I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> like, Jesus, dude, they want to get, they, they beat the Giants. Yeah. Right? And isn't it? And Cincinnati and Atlanta. Well, especially the way Atlanta was playing. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that, if you say how many games are shocking the day after the game, and then you look back, I'd say two-thirds of them aren't shocking. There still are some shocking games. Mm, yep. But most of the time, it it's all gets explained. It's like in Atlas Shrugged, one of my favorite books, and again, I, I've often said I'm a libertarian, not as a political party, but my ethos, I think – you know, I, I won't ask much from you. Don't ask much from me is my premise. Now, obviously, if someone if we're in a country and we're uh, citizens together and someone can't help themselves, then if we can, we help. I meaning, obviously, ultimately, if one person is going to be fat and happy, the other person's starving, you can see the point. Hey, that other person shouldn't be starving. If someone's got to live and someone's got to starve, I think whoever's got the, you know, well, in that case, whoever has the gun, I guess, would be the one that eats because it'd be anarchy. But I guess what I didn't want to get across is, oh, I'm this, you know, if you don't, you know, if if you're uh, struggling, well, Darwinism. No, it's all things equal. You should get what you earn. And if we're, you know, again, I really believe it's as a country, we're lucky that we got some discretionary money. Now, we could debate the national debt. Do we really have it? But at least for now, we do. So we help people. 
what I think most anti-government people lament the most is the inefficiency oftentimes of that help. Right? You're spending millions or billions in what's getting done. School system might be a good example of that. But Fez, you went to private school. It didn't really matter. Not me. My son. You went to private school? Nope. Just went to Dayton Elementary. Like Dayton. How many high schools were there in Dayton? Oh, put me on the spot. Maybe 50. I don't know. 50? I went to Oakwood High School. 50 high schools in Dayton? Probably 15, 20. No, there's more than that. Look it up. We were in like the south. I would have guessed like seven. We were like in the Southwestern Buckeye League, and that that how many league pe- alone had like eight or ten teams. How many people? Eight teams. How many people live in Dayton or lived when you were there? Depends. The greater Jesus, area. Give me a number. Five hundred thousand Dayton proper. Wait, there's Kettering. a half a million people who live in Dayton. Yeah, but you got Kettering. It's like one point one million. I think if you count everybody. That's insane. I swear to freaking God, if you would have asked me, and I, I know the whole metro, probably, let's say metro area, I would have guessed 130,000. Real? Yeah. I've never been to Dayton. Wow. Vegas metro area has only got like one and a half. You're saying Dayton's almost as big as Vegas? How, how far does it take? How long does it take to drive from the edge of town to the edge of town if you were like... Um, not circumnavigating, but if you were taking the radius or the diameter. Yeah, you count Kettering and Centerville, it's like 30 minutes. It's the same size as Vegas. It's exactly the same size city. Holy cow. Dayton Public Schools have six high schools. What did he say, 50? Yeah. Well, that's and because said, of all the suburbs and Beaver Creek and Tip City and, and Miamisburg well, and Centerville. Those, yeah, you got to get that. It's like not, counting Summerlin as being part of Vegas. No, no, it's not, though. Is there you're driving like summer there's a line and all of a sudden you're in Summerlin, right but nothing else changed kettering or whatever the f you just said is i'm guessing there's like six minutes and nothing but trees right no oh you'd be no, incorrect it just it just, it just it's it, non-stop non-stop it's just the city no just keep, the city just keeps going and going as far as the eye can see that's right but somehow some way there's six high schools you thought there were 50 there's, those are the Dayton public schools. And is that where you went? No. Oh, no, this gets interesting. Go oh, ahead. wow. Yeah, this gets yeah. interesting. I went to Oakwood High School, which is... Why are you saying Oakwood? Why don't you say it? Oakwood. Oakwood High School. Why are you mumbling that? Is that a, I don't Look know. for the median income of Oakwood High School. <laughs> what do you think it's going to be, Fed? No idea. You don't think it'll be above the, the national mean? Oh, it, I would make a big bet it's above the national mean. So what you're saying is there's this, like, enclave... That if anyone went into that might have looked a little different, they would have been hustled away. Oh, yes. Is that is that the case? That's fair. And that's where you went to public school. Yes. But at no point did you think you should share that with us. You were just like, yep, self-made. <laughs> right? Well, I went to Fairview um, in elementary school, which is in the middle of Dayton. Mackenzie, let me ask you a question. Mackenzie, Yale graduate, another silver spooner. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Initially, when you started listening to the pod, how long ago was it? Uh, 2016, 2016, I think. Yeah. And initially, when I was being Socratic with Fez, your thought probably was, boy, he seems hard. That one guy seems hard on the, that very intelligent guy seems hard on Fezzik. Was that what you thought? Yeah, almost exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then how did that evolve? Uh, I, 
I was appreciative of the fact that we there's always a level deeper that Fez could get to that wasn't always there. Or he was deceiving us. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Whenever I, I, I got a towel on Fez's face, I won't tell him what it is, but... I, I had no freaking idea what kind of high school you went to, but I knew it. You couldn't be who you are if it wasn't Silver Spoon. Yeah, it's Silver Spoon. <laughs> Look, I looked at a couple different sites. So here's the report card for Oakwood High School, who is a top-rated public school in Dayton. A-plus for academics, A-plus for teachers, <laughs> B for clubs and activities, A-college prep, A-plus health and safety. Jesus. Diversity. It sounds like some futurist. Diversity, uh, C-plus. C-plus. <laughs> and that's a gentleman C-plus. Let me yeah. tell you that. And they're only counting the the help. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the lunch you know, ladies. Yeah, yeah, the lunch ladies. <laughs> that's a great one. Do me a favor. Look up yours. This is great. I, didn't know I, I am shocked that we got a C plus. <laughs> you know what's funny? <laughs> hey, Matt. See, this is where the cameras need to come in. Did you catch him? Fezzi go, no. no. He was moving the, the, the incomplete sign. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Tell me how great that would be on the video. That would be a amazing. Sl- a, sl- small, a slow motion of him going like, like incomplete. No. We'll do a speed ramp. We'll get it to super slow. Oh, my gosh. What's yours? A B overall. Yours was A plus. Minus like, B. Literally, they're saying you could travel the world. Yep. With the only intent of finding a Gilded Cage-esque type existence. Yep. And you couldn't do better than Fezzik's upbringing. Pretty much. And he had the balls <laughs> to say, oh, no, public, public, public. What would what, what, you expect? <laughs> do mine, Shadyside. Oh, my gosh. Mine's going to be a D plus. No, my diversity is going to be like a zero. There was like in, in the town I grew up in, at the time, there were zero African-Americans, blacks, whatever the right way. I mean, I hear different things. I'm always one to say black because I have no idea where – they came from, right? I can't, you know, I just know it's a skin color thing, but maybe that's wrong. I don't know. But the, there was like none. And then it was, uh, you know, Asians or it might've been one. It was like crazy. If you look at the diversity. B minus. That it was a B. And what, what did you have? Oh, B. Uh-huh. That's amazing. C minus for diversity for you. Well, then let's just say yeah. this. <laughs> it was the help. Yeah, it's funny if you look on you or if you look on um, uh, what's it called Wikipedia at the very bottom, it will say like what percentage of the population is Caucasian. Yeah, yep. And, and Shady Side, I remember that three years ago I was reading or something. It said the white population is ninety nine point nine seven or something. It was like <laughs> there's only four thousand people. Yeah. Now what's funny is. Or I don't, I don't listen. I knew some of the old timers were pretty hardcore. So, you know, I don't know what went on way back in the day. There's probably some crosses or whatever. I mean, it was pretty intense, these people. But then, like one city over, the city that Joey Galloway grew up in, Belair, uh, he and I were either in the same class or one year off. But um, I didn't know him at the time. We didn't really, we weren't in Belair all the time. We said they have great pizza up there. But, um, like all through the valley, you know, it's called the High Valley. There was a huge amount of diversity, or not a huge, a normal, I'd say, for a Midwestern town. But just there was that one town there wasn't. And I got to say, when I went to Ohio State, you know, I was seventeen. You know, I was young for my class, so I was seventeen for a little while at Ohio State. It was a different experience, 
And I tell you, if you ever want to, like, if you're ever wondering as a parent, do you send your kid away? And obviously every situation is different. But for me, dealing with the bureaucracy of a big institution, like, boy, you, you know, you're in a small town, you grow up, it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot my ID. Okay, Fred, come on in, you know. In a big institution, you learn that the yeah. system doesn't care, right? And that's a good lesson because the system doesn't care. And number two, there was just, you know, massive diversity. In fact, I would say one of my couple, eh, three best buddies on the floor, Park Hall 8, Room 813, 1988. Well, it was the start of that year. His name was Jabali. And he told me, I never have heard this before since. He walks up and goes, I'm Jabali. And we start chatting. And he, was, he had an Apple computer. You know, I didn't know about Apple, I think, at the time. And he goes, uh, and he was a bike racer. And he had, like, this thing where there were these little caster wheels where in the dorm room he was able to ride his bike because he was just riding. It was like a little treadmill effect. That I don't think I could have done <laughs> It was talented. But the, um, he goes, hey, I'm Jabali. He goes, there's only seven people in the world named Jabali. Like, somehow he knew exactly how many people were named yeah. that. So I never forgot it. But he was a nice kid. Yeah, there was a, it was, a, it was a, a different experience. I mean, Fez, even for you, I mean, I guess even more for you, the gilded cage that you were in. Well, I guess when you go to Northwestern, it's still just, you know. Because really, the re- to me, and this is what a lot of people believe now, not that there isn't another side to it, but what is stronger? Like the color of your skin versus socioeconomic prejudice. Meaning, let's say someone's a little bit, a little Archie Bunker, right? So not malicious. I guess you could debate how malicious Archie Bunker was. But let's say not a malicious person. They just had bias. And I'm not saying just as in it doesn't matter. I'm saying it's different, right? And let's say they're in their, their special club and they're smoking cigars. Black guy walks in, they're going to look up and kind of have their reaction, right? Archie, let's call him. But the guy introduces himself, and within five minutes, he's vice president over at the Amazon, blah, 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 graduated from college, blah, blah, blah. All right, next guy walks in, white, pours, you know, dirt poor, teeth are messed up. You know, all the things you'd say are the hillbilly type, let's call them cliches. But they're, you know, again, there's obviously some truth to them. Which one do you think gets more heat? I think 30 but, years ago, I think yeah. color of skin mattered more. But I, now I think it's socioeconomics. And and, not, and let's be clear, not dismissing at all that there's going to be both. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. but I, I just think that's an intro. I think that with the Trump election, there was some of that where you saw that the people who are poor do feel a kinship with each other now that, you know, it's us and that, which is where the, I think the culture, the cultural war comes in where it's that New York values talk, right? Which Ted Cruz used is this big city values. It's going to be, it's a, it's going to be a hell of an, it's going to be a very competitive election. Let's just say that. So and it's funny because in a weird way, and maybe I'm wrong about this. This is not a professional opinion. I think if you are not exposed to a minority group at all, it actually, in a way, diffuses racism. Like what I have found is, and this is just known, 
like the groups that hate each other the most are often the groups that are concurrently in the same, um, you know, poor area town. So like, you know, where the classic, again, somewhat a cliche, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, but the Korean deli in the bad neighborhood, in the tough neighborhood, and the blacks, there's usually a lot, of, you know, there's a lot of uh, anger between them, right? Or uh, what's the right word for it? It's not tranquil, right? However you want to say it. And you go back a couple of generations, you have the Italians and the Irish. They hate each other. Why? Because they were in the same area. And they were, and that was, they couldn't fight against the rich people. How do you fight that? So you're going to fight against the other poor person, right? Yep. So, like, for me, I, I, I had never really had, before college, much interaction. So it was like, I knew there were, like, shows like, you know, Archie Bunker depicted it and stuff. But luckily, my parents really, there wasn't any of that in the family, though. Again, some of the fathers of the, the friends were bad. So I guess you, and, and in a weird way, as a kid, you heard it and you said, boy, that seems, it like seemed, they were so adamant about it. It almost made me think that can't be true. Like if they would have been a little bit, right, like a smidge racist, you could have said, well, yeah, maybe the culture, you know, like you wouldn't know me as a kid, but them acting like they shouldn't be around, like, like clear them out. It's like how any kid that was halfway smart, it'd be hard to, th- I, I don't know, though maybe it could go the other way. Maybe if I'm a contrarian, yeah, that's the way I was. It was it was like over the top was how I grew up, and I wanted to be contrarian, so I just was like, you guys are wrong. You can't be right. I was contrarian over, like, what anybody believed in my town. Okay, that's interesting. So in, in, in obviously, farms, you were going to think, you know, the, the Midwest and all that is, what was the nearest bigger, like, what city, was there any city that had even 15,000 people? Like what? Uh, the, the closest one would have been Toledo. I mean, decent-sized city, but that I was like— I guess Toledo tw- has, what, 3 million people? Right? <laughs> no, it's declining. It's like it was 300,000. Oh, that's a big that city, now. though. It's way less than that now. It's like 200, I mean, the, the, the shift. But and that was about 20 miles away, 20, 25. Yeah, like Wheeling, West Virginia was a, was like, let's go to the, the movies or whatever. Yeah. It had like maybe 15 restaurants. So it was like that was the big—I mean, literally— there was one Dairy Queen in our town that was closed six months a year. There was not another fast food place in the entire town. It was, you know, it was like like Mayberry or something. But there wasn't, you know, the nice cops with Otis. <laughs> it's interesting. You know, wait, wait, listen, we don't get into politics because obviously there's like really strong feelings in a way that I think people are irrational sometimes. Like both sides, right? They're just so into it. And I'm not saying it's wrong to be passionate. It's just to me, you want to have an open mind, but dealing with human, you know, the way the world is, is that politics? No. Right. Now politics ultimately affects the way the world is in a way. That's what politics is, right? Trying to affect the world as a, as you gather a civilization, I guess, people's together. Now, how do you navigate that? But on a one-to-one human level, I think those are the things that if we understand those, we all benefit in so many ways, including handicapping, right? If we understand. So here's the conclusion. Let's wrap this up. Fez, silver spoon. Brad, no, I won't call it a silver spoon, but nicer than me. Is that fair to say? Yep. I, the hardest scrabbled out bringing, RJ, somehow emerging like a phoenix from the ashes. The soot, the coal soot, <laughs> saying yins, 
100. I think I'm almost selling out now. On the radio, I'll, I'll go 100. Like, now that I'm adding that syllable, I feel like I'm selling out, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say, well, that's interesting, Faye. What was your toughest two year period financially? Oh, this is great. His eyes went scared. Like, there is no answer. There's no answer. <laughs> oh, so, wow. so you've never had, like, you never wanted financially more than just your greed. Correct. Oh, my gosh. What do you think? Now, it's funny. You would think a guy like that would be soft. And he is in a lot of ways. But when it comes to money, usually rich people don't care much. No, the ones that make it care about it. Yeah. Right? The first generation, typically. But then the kids are like, it's always been there. It's like yeah. oxygen. It's like, I'm not selfish about oxygen. What, what do you think that changed? Now, when you were at Transamerica and you were like mid-30s making like almost 200K, hanging out with the Hollywood girls and such, were you, would you say you had as much intensity about money? I don't know what you mean by intensity. What do you think I mean? Well, it's like the driving force of your existence. Well, I think I think so, and be, because I was working full time at Transamerica, and every during football season, every Friday I'd bail out to LAX and uh, did you, fly out you, to Vegas. You weren't bad. Like, how many years were you in LA before you started betting sports? Oh, pretty much the whole time. Okay, so at the time you're thinking, "Hey, I could buy that girl something, or that's my bankroll. I could add it to my bankroll." Like you were just constantly. Well, there's no time to get a girl because I'm like out of town every weekend, going to Vegas or Reno. So you, so really, what you're saying is you loved money so much that you for foregone you you forewent. Is that the right way to say? I don't know. You said, girls, you have to wait a few years. I don't have time for you. It literally came down to that. Like 1994 through 2000, it was, no, if it wasn't the fall, it was fine. But during the fall, I was busy. I'm already a multi-millionaire. couple things. One, in the fall, it wasn't, or in the non-fall, it wasn't fine. That wasn't the right word, I'm sure. We'll dig into that another time. But... I don't know about kids in the car. I'm not going to use curse words, but I'll, I'll say something a little, not ribald, but a, a mature subject for 60 seconds. We'll keep it real short. All right. Three, two, one, 60, go, go, go. All right. So they shouldn't, no kids should be listening right now. Feds, did you ever think about a, a professional? Because it would be very natural to say, I have, you know, normal manly needs. I don't have time for it. It's not necessarily... What I'm great at, you know, whining and dining the women. So one day I'll meet my wife, but for now I'm going to have, you know, did, was it ever a thought? Or you just said, no, that's illegal. I'm not doing it. Oh, the legal- you were in Vegas. The legality you know? would never have bothered me, but it just wasn't. Just didn't felt, would have felt weird. Yeah. That's interesting. Because, I mean, in a way, that's what, you know, the oldest profession. It, back in the day, it was, you know, again, I'm going from books and whatever. I mean, I'm talking about 1,200, 1,400, 1,600. Uh, that women were so, at least on the surface, chaste that they were so like, you know, you could, if you take like in Godfather 1, when Michael was with Apollonia and the, all the families behind him, you know, there was no flings going on, right? So it was kind of like you either got married or there was no chance. And thus the industry popped up. It just seemed like you would have been like the prototype of the guy that was too busy. Huh. It's fascinating. All right. The big show. Where are we at? 
Philly, Washington. We want to see if you guys agree with my handicap on the underdog here on Washington. Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for R.J.? You can contact him directly on Twitter at R.J. in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.